You're listening to another episode of the Zag, Eric DeSoeb here. Excited to be joined by 2021 Pittsburgh fellow Jeremy Pesner is here. He's writing a book. We love talking to authors here on the Zag. We'll hear more about how that construction of his work is going. Also a little bit more about his NLC experience. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. Yeah, Jeremy, before we dive into the book stuff, uh, definitely an interesting year to be a fellow in 2021 with a little bit of distance from the experience. What do you remember about your fellow's uh, run there? Well, it certainly had its difficulties. <laughs> um, what I do remember in, in my particular case, I was very excited to be a fellow because I had just moved to Pittsburgh recently mm-hmm. and I wanted to find a way to connect with people. Uh, so what NLC really represented uh, for me was a way to get to know a lot of the local movers and shakers of Pittsburgh very quickly. People who had been there all or most of their lives kind of knew the way, knew the people and the way things worked. And it was kind of very refreshing to sort of understand Pittsburgh from that perspective. Uh, you know, as, as an outsider, uh, it was I was just kind of feeling like I was just beginning to learn my way around places. But these are people who understood Pittsburgh's storied history, the good and the bad, mm-hmm. and were more than willing to talk about it. Yeah. And where were you before going to Pittsburgh? Uh, before Immediately before then, I was in Atlanta. Um, but I have lived in a bunch of different places across, yes. my, across my adult life. And then so once the Institute ended in June 21, how long before you got to see folks in person, actually? Was there ever a kind of reunion of sorts, or did you get to kind of see everyone in person piecemeal throughout the rest of the year? How did that work? Piecemeal is probably a good way to describe it. Um, you know, I'll give credit, certainly give credit to the organizers. They tried to have a couple of in-person events. We did meet up um, at a local area to have some photos taken. That was nice. Yeah. Uh, in addition, our um, Pittsburgh was one of the cohorts that had the group capstones as opposed to individual ones. Oh, nice. And so in that case, I um, organized, I, I did meet with uh, my other partners in person a couple of times to work on this. To me, that felt very important because uh, while none of our institute was in person, uh, I still needed to get the sense of who these people were beyond just faces on a screen. And, yeah. and you know, we actually went to the house of, of one of my uh, one of the people in my group. So I got to see where they were living and they had just recently moved in. So they were talking all about their, the process of getting it and setting it up. Well, tell folks a little bit about this book writing experience. Like I said in the intro, I'm always excited to talk to authors. It's such an interesting and complicated feat trying to get something like this off the ground and out into the world. What's your book about and what stage of the process are you in? Yes. Um, thank you for asking. So it's a very early stage. Um, uh, this, this, pub, this podcast probably is the first real public venue in which hmm. I'm talking about it. Um, for the last seven years or so, seven or eight years, near the better part of a decade, I've been undergoing a lot of um, spiritual and emotional healing, a lot of self-work, a lot of inner work. Um, that's very different from the type of things I had been doing before, from therapy, from medication, the things I've done uh, ranging from plant medicines to uh, neuro-emotional technique to Reiki to meditation uh, and a number of retreats. They're all qualitatively different from the types of emotional and mental health care that I had grown up with, and I believe certainly most of the Western world has grown up with. Uh, And in the last couple of years, I've become more passionate about telling people about this type of work. Um, because uh, not only is it uh, not only are there increasing number of studies that are verifying this these techniques, these are not things you have to take on faith, but they do a lot to treat the whole person, the whole sense of health. 
you know, traditionally we think of mental health and physical health as two separate things, but uh, we, we, we know increasingly that's not the case. That if you are unwell emotionally, you're going to be unwell physically and vice versa. And especially in an age where everyone is concerned about their health and about as being as healthy and virus resistant as possible, that's really what inspired me to take the leap on this. And then I'm always curious on the the writing routine for folks who are trying to get a book out into the world. Are you sitting every day and writing X amount of minutes? Is it more when you have an idea or you have wrapped up some research, you want to get it on paper? How does the actual construction piece work for you? Yeah, it's it's definitely there. I wouldn't say it's a very consistent pattern so far. Also, since I'm at the very early stages, I haven't written much of the actual book yet, but I have been doing my research. I, I have written out a table of contents, so I know what I want the flow of the book to be. I know what each chapter is going to cover. Um, research, I'm definitely still very much in the research phase, uh, gathering papers, reading things, understanding how I'm going to uh, frame and shape what I'm talking about in, in the given the context of what already exists. And as I, I'm more concerned at this particular moment about the marketing in the sense of understanding what format it's going to be, how people are going to read it. You know, before deciding to write this book, I, I spoke with a number of other first time authors who have gone through different sort of programs and boot camps to get their book out there. But once they did, they almost all said, I didn't get a lot of marketing support. You know, I had this book in my hand, but nobody knew about it. So it wasn't until I started conversing with marketing and PR organizations that I got serious about writing the book in the first place because all of a sudden I knew I had people in my corner who were going to do everything they could, not just to make people aware of the book, but to make people aware of me. And so I'm more making sure that the marketing strategies are in place and writing the book around that rather than vice versa. Got it. Makes sense. We'll come back with Jeremy. We'll talk a little bit more about his book exploits and also his day job. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, Jeremy, I was curious, is the book overlap pretty seamlessly with your professional uh, kind of nine to five paying the bills job? Or is it something, something kind of separate and more a passion and something you've gotten into uh, kind of on the side and then it's turned into this thing that you want to do? Yeah, it's, it's very different. My, my day job is in technology policy. My, my background is as a computer scientist, and then I moved into public policy, which I've studied and worked on in various capacities over the last decade. This emotional and spiritual healing, you know, was started off as sort of a quest to understand what was holding me back in life. But I've done so many things and stuck with it for so long that I've said it's kind of like a second job. So this book uh, is not, you know, if I, if you were to ask me what I would have written my first book about, I would not have said this uh, initially. But, you know, as, as more of this came about and I found myself championing it more and more and being more and more aware of the research, uh, it, this, this came forward as the, the obvious uh, topic for me to discuss. Yeah. So it is not really related to the tech policy work I do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, however, what's great about where I work, which is the Bipartisan Policy Center, it's a think tank that's meant to inform Congress on both sides of the aisle. Uh, Bipartisan Policy Center works on a number of issues, tech being just one of them. And given recent events, uh, there is a con- open opportunity to have a greater conversation around mental and emotional health. But I think you know, given what we've seen in the pattern that's existed recently, the, the traditional ways of addressing it have been not really been sufficient. 
which is why I think there's a particular opening at this point in time. You know, we see the mental and physical anguish around us, and I think people are crying out for something better. So it feels well-timed, This my, my plan to write this book, in terms of what people, and I would argue, our society really needs. For sure. Well, maybe the last thing, I'm always curious when I talk to folks in, in tech, and it's interesting that you work in policy. Are there certain things that you're watching really closely? Like, What is the future of tech look like for you? I, I feel like I've seen a couple of interesting stories this week that have popped. And what was the one that I saw about a engineer who left Google who was convinced that the, the chat bot had gotten sentient and, and was, was communicating with that person? Are you kind of making those uh, deep dives on Reddit? Are you kind of thinking more big picture congressional policy for tech? What kind of things should we keep an eye on? Yeah, I would think there, there, you know, thanks to science fiction, there's been worried about, you know, <laughs> sentient or evil AIs for decades. Um, and while there are certain safeguards we need to think about when developing AIs, they're not the types of things you would see in movies. No AI <laughs> is going to suddenly come to life and start killing everybody. We have to be more aware of how these systems are built to make decisions. Uh, something else that you may have been aware of or heard about is, you know, sort of systemic ra uh, racial bias or other types of bias within AI systems. And what that ultimately points to is having a greater sense of the data that goes into them and the data that comes out of them. So when it comes to AI, I would certainly argue that we need to have a clearer sense of how things work and clearer limits on what they can and cannot be used for. Another big issue in my wheelhouse is broadband. We've certainly seen over the last couple of years how internet has essentially become a, a utility, something that pretty much no one in the world can live without. So there's a lot of money being uh, planned in the uh, Department of Commerce to build up broadband throughout the U.S., which is very exciting for me. Um, but it's also important to make sure that we invest in the different types of technologies and in ranging from fiber in the ground to satellite to potentially wireless signals beamed off a radio tower to ensure that anybody who doesn't have a sufficient internet is able to get it. Nice. Well said. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on. We'd be love to have you back once the book is further along and ready to launch and happy to promote you in any way possible. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode. Make sure to catch all the episodes of the Zag that can be now found. Actually, we made a homepage for the Zag on the NLC website. So go to newleaderscouncil.org. And of course, you can always find us on our social media channels, all the places you get your podcasts. We're all there. Spend most of our time on Instagram. So at the Zag podcast, check it out. And until next time, then we will catch you soon.